My name is Dustin, and welcome to the Earthian Podcast, where I explore the everyday stories, emotions, and realities that make up the human experience as we know it on Earth. Today's guest lives in Seattle, Washington. We've been friends for about 12 years. It's beautiful seeing how people move through different stages in their life with the personalities they have. I've watched him go from young college kid to a dad and husband. In this conversation, we talk about how his family ended up in the U.S. We talk about how hip-hop influenced his outlook on life. And more importantly, we talk about being a father. This is my conversation with Michael Kim. I don't know how to explain any of this. Even with like the little cousins, it's really hard to articulate this clearly because... Is all general, like you know, you feel angry and you feel sad, and then you feel hopeful. But like in details, it's hard to. I can't. I can't actually guarantee anything. Like the government can't either, which is probably why they're stalling. And they're starting to make up stuff that they. I feel like it's like literally freestyle rapping. Like they just all of a sudden <laughs> just started rapping about something else. Like they were supposed to stick to topic. And I don't know if you've heard what happened in Washington because I know you live in Oregon, but like we're supposed to be in a four stage phase, right? Four phases. Yeah. Yeah. So we're supposed, they're supposed to announce whether on June 1st, tomorrow, we go into phase two. And he said something like, we're going to modified, like modified one. So how many phases are you saying there is? Like it's like one, then modify one. So like now I'm thinking, Maybe after two, it might not even be three. It might be modified two. Right. And then, right. So it's like, it's like saying, hey, you, to your son, you can play video games for 10 more seconds. And then he gets to nine. And then he goes 9.25, 9.5. Right. Yeah. right, right and it's right. just like, okay, so at what point are we getting to 10? Because technically, he's following what you said. And that is the toughest conversation. Because like my dad's like, you know, yeah, after two it's gonna be three i was like i don't even know anymore when they start using words like modified like where did this come out of and then he won't even explain why that's there he's like oh we're better than one but we're not at two it's like then why do we have one to two then like unless they didn't want to say it was a 20 phase plan because then people might start you know complaining even more than they are right because my parents keep saying you know they can't keep us close forever and in my head, I'm like, could they? I, I mean, I don't know. Like, it's not like he personally is going to come over and help us. You know, it's every economic crash has people who suffer. Maybe they're just willing to let us suffer. I don't know. I'm not entirely sure what, he, what they care about. I know all of them care about re-election. Because when you see the states that have reopen, reopened, it's because public opinion in that state wants to reopen by a lot. So if they keep closed, they're not going to get reelected. Yeah. It's, I mean, your state is pretty, it's all over the place too, it seems like. I, I like, you know, Washington, Oregon, California is like, it has liberal areas and then like extreme conservative areas too. So it's weird within our own state to like try to navigate this. Yeah. I mean, it's also like, it's also difficult. Like, yeah, what do you, sure. what do you do? I mean, for the first time probably ever, I'm I'm like empathizing with government officials and leaders and stuff just a little bit, right? Because if you're in that position, you know, you know, decide... you know, yeah, go ahead. So the first thing you said was like, so 
I know Spain, Italy, El Salvador, they just canceled bills, payments, tax for mm. three months. Right. Uh, Canada, UK, they gave their countries, what, three, four months, $2,000 a month per adult, every adult. And it almost seems like we, like when you say, what can they do? They can't with their current structure, with our economic structure. They can't because if they allow it, if they do it, we're going to know that they have the possibility to give us a better life and they're not. Yeah. Like they could cancel bills. Like the reason the landlord is pressuring us is because they're being pressured by their banks because they yeah. have loans too. And all of this is like a cycle that the government could technically just stop from the top, but they won't because if they do, capitalism <clears throat> doesn't work technically. Yeah. You know, the first time I went to uh, Europe uh, in France, right? I don't know if I've ever told you stories before, but so me and Stacy, we land and we're hungry. It was about 3 p.m., right? And we walk around for about 20 minutes and there's not a single shop open. For a second, I was like, is, is today like a holiday? Why is everything closed? And every store was, because I couldn't read French, I, I was assuming it says we're opening at five. It says five. Every store, five or 5.30. And they closed at like two. So I'm like, why are they, why is every store closed from two to five? And I realized in other countries, 24 hour service doesn't exist. They eat lunch at a certain time span. They eat dinner at a certain time span and they close and they go rest and they go chill. They smoke cigarettes. They have, they go hang out for a second at a local, you know, bar or wherever they want to go. And then they come back to work. And that kind of lifestyle didn't make sense to me coming from America. Yep. I was like, I was like, how could every shop, like if there was a shop open, people would flock to it. It's like, nah, they care about uh, quality of life. more. Like we're going to rest during rest time and we'll work during work time. But America is like 24 hours. That's like engraved in our head, like work as much as you can. And like all this stuff, like we're almost brainwashed to feel this way. I don't know. It may, I, I'm not entirely sure. Cause like I had another conversation with a friend. Like, I love America so much, but like fundamentally, we're not equipped to handle like ap apocalyptical stuff like this. And when it happens, we need a better plan because clearly it can happen. This yeah. is a uh, 76 days that um, my business has to be closed of today, as of today. And no business is built to make no money this long. It's insane. Yeah. So how, how is uh, your family handling it? Like your family and then also your parents and, and sister and stuff? I mean, it's, we're all in such different stages. So if my parents, they've been trying to plan for retirement. So as long as the landlord doesn't give us trouble, they have no trouble. You know, they have enough money to pay mortgage. You know, they're not really, I mean, there's nothing to do. So no one's going out, right? So they're not spending much money. And, you know, my mom's just cooking at home. And I've noticed that too. Like when you just eat at home, you're saving a ton of money, you know? So they're good as long as like the landlord doesn't give trouble. Uh, my sister, she's still getting paid even though she's not technically doing that many flights because she's still on the payroll. Like they haven't laid her off. So she's still getting a salary. So she's good. But um, she's done maybe five or six flights in the last two and a half months um Damn. some yeah so and the thing is 
you know, I'll always, you know, message her because, like, we're all worried when she works. It's weird. We're more worried when she works than when, she, when she's at home. Yeah. Because, you know, she's a flight attendant. Uh, so some flights, she says there was nine people. I think the most she said was 33. Yeah. And, you know, you've been on planes. Like, I don't think I've ever seen just 33 people on a plane. And that's the most she's seen. And then, uh, and then some cities that she goes to, I guess, is not as safe in terms of, like, how, like, people are just hanging out in groups or, you know, obviously the mask thing, I think that's a personal choice in America at this point. There's a lot of people who don't do it at all. And so she's okay. And then ours, like, we're okay, too. Like, that's one thing we realize, too, is how much money we technically need to live. Versus how much money we thought right. we needed to live. You <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah, because yeah. like Stacy still works. So we have, you know, we have an income through her. And I never, well, actually, none of us realized that you can live that way. Because we just, I don't know, man. I, you know, I, I don't know if we're just buying too much bubble tea or what, what it was. But like, <laughs> clearly, clearly, if we stop doing, you know, everything or cut down, it was, I actually think this happened at a pretty good time. I mean, if I'm trying to be optimistic and there, this, the days that I'm optimistic, this is what I think. I think, oh, wow, we figured out a better way to live once we go back into regular life. Like now I know that this is doable and it gives me different kind of courage to take chances with business too. Like, yeah. and if, and if you don't make money, then you figure it out again kind of thing. Cause sometimes you don't take risk at all because you need to survive. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you can't, a lot of these people who say they'll sacrifice their job, if you have, like, family and kids and stuff, it's a lot harder to, versus if you're just a bachelor. Right. And For sure. I, I think we're learning a lot about ourselves right now, our current selves, I guess. And I'm also learning a lot because, like, I have multiple landlords for business. One of our landlords who I did not like, they gave us an incredible deal, um, not pressured us, and gave us three months and... We don't have to pay them for a while. And I had no idea that ever say something like that. And the one that was never really mean, but not nice, they're the ones like completely pressuring us. And I was like, oh, wow. Like, you know, I, this is something I never would have known without this. And because to have a future, I don't know if I want multiple locations my whole life. It's nice to know which ones will take care of you. Yeah. What, um, what have you realized about yourself? Like beyond like the, the lifestyle and the money that you spend and that kind of thing. What else have you learned about yourself? Oh man, this is, some of this is kind of terrible. All right. So <laughs> what I realize is I've always known I'm a homebody, but I've never realized to the extent how much, cause like a lot of my friends, what they ask me is, Hey, what are you going to do first? When we real, what, like when everything opens what's the first thing you want to do. Right. And I've never really thought about anything other than work. And I've never, I'm not dying to go out to a bar. I'm not dying to really do anything. And I, I realized, unless, I mean, I don't know if my threshold is just better than everyone else's, because I have friends just dying to go out to a bar and hang out or having like a house party or a get together or something like that. And I haven't actually missed any of it. And, and I don't know if that's just a personality thing, because I, I don't want, it, it makes it sound like I don't want to see anyone. But I, I don't know if it's because I haven't had time to think about it. Because, like, on a day-to-day, -day, the only thing you think about right now is, like, 
making sure you know we're on track to like reopen and will our business survive and then at the same time not completely ruin the soul of everyone that i'm living with and then yeah. you know you know and ellie is three so like we still have things we do with her and she's like soaking in everything so i don't want to teach her the wrong things at this time um so i haven't really i've learned that i i i thought i don't like going out that much but i never realized how much how low it is in my priority list. I also realize what I turn to when my free time, you know, like to like relax has been taken away. That's the one frustrating part during this. Cause like sports, uh, film and music and you know, some music has dropped, but so I just go back to old ones and movies too. So I'll just watch old, movies. but like the sports thing, I realize how much I I mean I've always known I love sports but I realize how much I love how much I love and need it to keep uh like I guess my soul happy cuz this is this is the first time in my life that sports is canceled <laughs> like every sport there's nothing available yep I don't think plans I don't think there's such thing as it going according to plan this year like no one's <laughs> yeah. plan yeah no. even no. the people like the Zoom CEO who you know I'm sure he's made a lot of money this year. I don't think he knew he was going to make this much money this year. You know, there's no way anyone could have forecasted any of the stuff that has happened. Yeah. And then I, you know, I told, so on my most optimistic days, I told Stacy that I always worry about how I would react when it's end of the world situations. And this for a while felt that way and seeing how if this felt like end of the world and this is what this is how i react to it i was like okay i have a i have faith and courage in myself knowing that because like the reason coronavirus scares everyone is the unknown we don't know how bad it is we don't know when this is going to end so everyone's worried because they don't and I always worried about when things go bad, how will everything look? And I got to see it. If, if theoretically I got laid off, I got to see how my family can move on. I got to see everything temporarily. If I don't do my part, what happens? And, I, and it's nice to know that we have built something enough to survive, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. So that's, that's comforting to know. Because I think everyone will hit a rough patch in everything in their lives at some point. And this is probably as bad as it gets for a lot of things. Yeah, I mean, especially here. I think yeah. this is, this is going to be this is gonna be it for a while. But, you know, who knows, man? It's, it's, it's only June. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's the other thing. I was like, oh, my God. This, this year feels like three, four years. <laughs> you know, it's, I think it started with kobe and his daughter gianna dying to here like it just feels like just wave after wave of bad thing i i don't know if the last time i've ever felt this sad for this long of a period <laughs> like this this is a this is a new thing i don't think i've ever felt like this in my adult adult life like post 30s like in college i had days where i'm like oh what am i doing like 
all these things like unknown because you don't know if you want to do this for your career and that kind of stuff. But this is a this is a new thing. Like it's it feels odd. Uh, I mean, Parasite won an Oscar, and I almost feel like we'll never remember it. It's like, it's like Korea was so excited. <laughs> they were so excited, and then it's almost like we'll never, we'll never even talk about it again because 2020 is like the coronavirus year. For sure, dude. I feel like one thing, like the silver lining, is that, I mean, for a minute at least, um, the whole world was on the same page. Like we kind of yeah. understood, and we were, I mean, we were literally on the same page. I mean, obviously, there's some difference between like how rich people experience coronavirus versus like how poor people, right? And what you talked about before yeah. with like minorities being uh, higher rates of coronavirus and all that. But like at some level, we, we felt trapped. And I, I was thinking about how, um, like what can come out of this in the future in terms of coronavirus, but then also the shootings. Um, I feel like the best thing that can come out of this is like empathy, like understanding somebody, you know what I mean? Like understanding, trying to understand how another person lives their life and experiences their life. Like that could be, that's probably the best thing that could come out of this. I mean, I I don't know how you feel about this, but it does feel like every time there is just an unjust murder of a young black person that more people are gravitating towards changing the system. Yeah. Like than the last time. So I guess if there is a hope in that is that at some point there's so many people who agree with that that they have to change it. And the the worst part of the system is I, I we don't we'll never know the numbers, but it does seem like more people than not wanted to change. It's just the people who don't want it to change are in power. And a lot of people who are voted in because they have to worry about their career, they can't vote all the time for our rights, which is terrible to say. It's like if you're an intern, you're probably not going to curse out your boss. Yeah. You know, or or you know cuz you're you want to be hired and you want to move up the ladder. Uh I think Puff uh, Puff Daddy is the one example. I remember hearing he got fired from Andre Harrell, who died recently, so, um, as an intern for pretty much acting up, right? Like he's saying, like he runs a show and all this stuff. So you know, Andre Harrell fired him, but not a lot of people will act like that, like ever in a job place. Yeah, for sure. Yo, I have a I have a question. Yeah, how did you and your family end up in the U.S.? Okay, so like you came from Korea, you you're you're an yeah. immigrant, right? Yeah. How old how old were you when you came over? So my dad, when he was really young, my grandfather told my dad to leave Korea. Like when if you get an opportunity, Korea, immigrate somewhere else. And my dad Im- uh, applied multiple countries. Um, I I we got approved Fiji, somewhere in Africa. I want to say it's Kenya, but I'm not entirely sure. And he got rejected from America seven years straight. Like every year he gets rejected. And he started actually applying before he married my mother. So he was planning on immigrating before he had a family. Mm. And then he ended up meeting my mom at Kern Airlines. 
And then he was still applying. And then I just found this out recently, actually during this pandemic, because I've been talking to my parents so much. Um, what happened was he went to the embassy and they rejected him again. And he really thought he was going to get a green card because he had a green card sponsor um, waiting for us in, in Ohio, Columbus, Ohio. And the lady did not like my dad for whatever reason, probably because my dad is, you know, he yells a lot. And I guess he yelled at her. He, he yelled at again and she like closed the door on him and then my dad came back the week after and it was someone else working at the embassy and my dad was like i just don't get why i keep getting rejected like, give me your paperwork my dad gives the new person the paperwork and that person approved us on the slot and and then we packed up and we came we came september 9th 1991 i was five uh we had a green card sponsor in ohio and he was a martial arts uh instructor like my dad so basically we got a green card to add his martial arts business so it's like a like a working green card right got to it. teach martial arts and what happened was for a year we have to be there around him working there and when that year was about to run out my dad was looking at spots to open up his own business and that guy told my dad um to keep working for him instead of opening up your own business. And my dad told him he couldn't do that because he can't support. I mean, it was my mom, me, my sister, we're all living in a one bedroom apartment. So he didn't want him 50 miles within his uh, business if we opened up our own business. Um, so he, he and my mom flew to LA and they were thinking of moving to California, but that was when Rodney King riots was happening. So he didn't want to move to California. and. I found this out when I was 28. My dad saw a picture of Washington. He's like, they have a mountain. They have a city. Like, I like what it looks like on a picture. And I was like, oh, my God. Thank God the picture wasn't, a, like, a lie, you know? Right. Because <laughs> my, mom, my mom hated living in Ohio because we came from Seoul, where it's a big city. You live in Seoul. Imagine yeah. going from there to, like, Ohio and thinking you're moving to America. You know? Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, my parents work for Current Airlines, and they've been to America, but they've only been to New York, L.A., Honolulu, like, only the big cities. So they've never been to Ohio. My mom just hated the time there. And I don't know if you've ever driven through America, but the drive from Ohio to Washington is, like, through Illinois, uh, Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota, Montana, Wyoming, Idaho. So my mom saw a bunch of states that looked nothing like where she wanted to go to. Right. And then when it said entering Washington, that's like Spokane, right? And my mom's like, oh, my God, it's nothing like the picture. Like, we've entered Washington, and it's nothing like the picture, you know? Right. And my mom was just so sad. And then she was like, yeah. And then, like, five hours later, we saw – she said the I-90 bridge. She saw Lake Washington and then downtown Seattle. She's like, okay, the pictures wasn't alive. It was just America's so big, you know? So, yeah, that's how we ended up in Washington. My dad just – I guess saw Seattle in a picture and thought it was pretty and thank God it worked out, man. Like when I saw, when I heard that story, but you know, like you're, 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 you're a child of immigrants. Like you're not thinking of every single aspect. You're thinking of like where you are living is not going to work and yep. you got to make it out. And then once you make it out, then you figure it out. You know, like, it's not like you can't figure out every aspect of everything in life. And I think my friends too, like, they're like, when they want to have kids, they're like, they want to be ready. I was like, I'm not entirely sure what that means. Cause I don't think you'll ever feel like you're really ready. 
or if you do, you're, you might be just ignorant. Because I still yeah. don't know if I know what I'm doing most of the time. It's just trial and error, and then you mess up, and you just try to work it out. And then if we move to Washington, I guess, if it was horrible, I guess you try to figure it out and then maybe move again. You know, like right. this whole thing of like needing to get something perfect right away. And you're the perfect example of that. Like you yeah. went to a great university, graduated, and then you're like, uh, I don't know if this is what I want to do. And then you invested in yourself, and it worked out. Yeah. Like – but at the same time, I'm also the kind of person that like likes to plan everything. Sure. Right. <laughs> right. But it's also because we are a child of people like our parents' generation is like almost PTSD like soldiers because they experience so much war and trauma and the government just, you know, you know, fucking them over that they don't trust things that you're normally supposed to trust. Because they weren't raised under those circumstances. Their, yeah. only, their only instinct is survival. It's like survival, survival. And this whole you know, Black Lives Matter movement too, the reason most Asians can't get involved is because we're raised to just think about survival. And if you think about your own survival instinct, this doesn't seem like it matters to you or it's important to you. Yeah. And I think also like with our generation getting older and becoming more successful, we have more luxury to think about others because we can get our place set in our communities, which is nice. And then hopefully it just keeps getting better and our kids have even more freedom to do more things. Cause we're, I, you know, I, yeah, like we're a unique generation. Asian Americans are unique. Every Asian country, like we're all, I mean, other than maybe Japanese Americans who've been here for a while, like we're all kids of like, parents who have so much trauma growing up that it's it's weird like to see like sons getting hugs from their dads was an abnormal sight for me as a kid like i just never saw it that when i, I was like you it was like i leave people's home like you hug your dad when you're about to leave home <laughs> like like that's that's just it just it was so foreign and you felt like you weren't love and then you grew up and it's just like they just couldn't express that to you. So, you know, I feel I feel bad for our parents' generation for that too. It's not like they didn't want to, it's just there's there's still my dad still acts like he's like super poor. Like his reaction to everything makes it seem like we can't do any of the stuff that we can. Right. And like I had to have this pandemic, you know, what you were saying, like what did I learn is also like I also learned that I had to help calm my parents down a lot too and tell them it's going to be okay, which I never really felt like it was necessary to do, you know, cause your parents feel like superhumans to you growing up. Yeah. For but sure. like during this time, like, like we're going to be okay. And then like for whatever reason, and you, you can relate cause your parents ran a successful business. It's like to move from where you move from to make a living, to send your kids to get education that's a success story definitely it's a it's a success story man like coming from like poverty yes like yes like real poverty real it's real poverty yes yeah yes and to to the point where like you made a living you have a home your kids have grown up and they're all doing things like that if that's not a success story then i don't i don't know what is yeah and that's interesting you you say that uh you know, my parents, they had a food truck for yes. like 30 years, basically. Yes. And um, 
whenever we would go, like they would meet my friends or I would introduce them to like a teacher or something, they would never want to say what they did for a living because it was looked down on. Um, yeah. At least in Asia, in, Vietnam, in Vietnamese culture. So they would always like hide what they were doing. Do you know, that's so funny because right now, how cool is it to have a food truck? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's so great because like they're like the pioneer generation of this stuff. Yeah. And like the fact that, but all things cool were not cool at one point. That's just so crazy to me. And even if it wasn't cool, like what is, I mean, maybe I'm just old now. It's like, what is not cool about figuring out a way to make a living to take care of your family? Like yeah, what is cooler right. like than that? It's, that's crazy. But yeah, I know for sure, man, for real. God, I used to hide that I knew martial arts. Oh, really? <laughs> I, 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 no, because it's multiple reasons. One, if people think it's cool, they want to like fight you or see something, right. right? And then two, then it's like this whole thing of like, they'll teach you like, oh, you think you can like, and then try to like one up you. So it's just never led to anything great, you know? And when I was a kid, I did not like my friends coming to our Taekwondo because it was so strict. I didn't like with my friends, I want to be relaxed and I can't be. And like, it was just stressful enough. But all of them, man, like my friends who grew up in, with cleaner parents, teriyaki. I think as a kid, everyone's embarrassed a little bit. And as you yeah. become older, you're so proud of your parents. Yes, and exactly. Yeah, it's, I mean, I'm glad our generation is, you know, becoming, are at the age they are now. Because our parents' generation, I hope they get enough credit. Because they're probably going to be the most important generation because they're the ones that went through all of the bad, how do you call it, least amount of, they're not going to receive the fruits that they should, but we will, and our kids will. Yeah, and they sure. literally laid the groundwork for that. It's, yeah. it's the modern day, like, uh, what is it, the railroad workers. It's the, it's the modern day version of it, for sure. Yeah. So I want to I talk about what you said earlier um, about your parents not being able to, like, show love. That's yeah. like an Asian thing, right? I mean, I'm sure, like, your parents, not, they didn't say, they didn't not hug you and they didn't not say I love you because they didn't want to. It's more like that's not how you yeah. communicate it uh, in that culture. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, I, I, yeah I, I talked to my dad about that. My dad's never hugged his dad. Like, he yeah. doesn't remember it. I'm sure he hugged him when he was, like, a baby or something, you know? Right. Yeah. So I'm curious, like, has that has your relationship changed with your parents? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I, but I don't – I can't remember if it happened before or after I had a daughter. I want to say it happened after. Like, that helped bridge so many gaps, like, so much because – I didn't know that they could act the way they do with her in general with like a kid because right. I've never seen it, you know, and I'm, sh I mean, I'm not sure, but like, I'm sure when I was a baby, they did all that stuff. And I think for whatever reason, Asian men, especially when they're raising boys, they think they need to make them mature at a really young age yeah. and by hugging they think they're coddling their kid and they want them to grow up really quick. And, you know, it's, it's weird. Cause I, in theory, I understand what they're saying. 
and it makes sense to me. But also, like, when you're a kid, you should be a kid because you have the rest of your life to be an adult. But I think from their experiences, it's almost like I wish I could go back and not waste my time during this period. Because, like, you wish you could tell your own self that. Like, oh, man, I wish when I was 18, I knew this. I wish when I was 21, I knew this kind of thing. And when it's so forced, because I all I feel like most Asian kids butt heads with their parents. The reason for that is the disconnect of not knowing why they're being you versus you think it's going to be all right. And they are always worried about your well-being. Because someone told me this later. You're butting heads over things that they care about. At least they care because they could have just ignored you. I've never felt ignored. That might be the worst. That might be oh, absolutely. the worst punishment as an Asian parent. Oh, absolutely. Imagine yeah. if you brought grades home, good or bad, and they just didn't even look at it. Like yeah. that, that I, I don't know how that would feel, you know, because I mean, I'm sure your family too, they, they're, they wanted to see your grades the moment it came out. Like, where is it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a that's a true Asian American PTSD thing right there. <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> I I remember, and I've told so many of uh, Stacy's cousins this. Like, you know, the grades you knew was really good. And you're ready to show your parents the moment they ask. Uh, yeah. My mom didn't ask right away that day for whatever reason for my grades. And I was just so ready to, for her to ask. I didn't want to bring it up first. And when she did, I brought it up. And she looks at my straight A and she goes, hmm. And then she's walking away. <laughs> I, was, I was like, oh, man. It was, uh, I mean, but I get it now. Like, my mom, I think, I don't think my parents, and I don't know if there's a language barrier too, and I'm sure some of it is just cultural, is uh, sometimes she was like, I thought you knew how we felt. I was like, what? It's like, how could you think that? And then the other part of it is, is like, the other part of it is like, if we think you are a smart kid and you get good grades, like, do you want me to congratulate you for being exactly what we think you are? And I think most young kids' response would be yes, you know? Yep. But like, also like, and you know who Gary Vee is? Yeah. Uh, Bain, Gary Vaynerchuk. Uh, he tells a story about his mom that the reason he does what he does is because his mom made a big deal out of the smallest gestures. Like he hold a door open for someone when he was like five and his mom acted like he won the lottery. Yeah. So like I, I did take that to heart. And every time Elia does something that I think is, is good for her characteristic, we make like a, we like cheer right. to make sure she keeps doing it. Cause like, I think when you feel good, you want to repeat whatever made you feel good again. Definitely, dude. That's something yeah. that I'm learning recently. Like, I thought my whole life, and I'm, I'm sure you're the same way. Like, if you if you feel good, it means you're not going to do good. Like, you're not going to be better. You're not going to, you know, gr like, if you don't hate on yourself, you're not going to do something to change that and, and improve. Sure, yeah. And that's something that I realized recently. It's like, yeah, you need to feed yourself sometimes. You need to feed yourself love sometimes to... Yeah. To, yeah. to feel good about doing something, you know? For sure. No, no, for sure. No, absolutely. No, it's – and and also, I, I we're slow to that because think about how many times your dad or my dad probably got complimented by their parents. 
Yeah, zero. And yeah, and and you need. My dad once said, like, we, my grandfather got ill. Um, I lived with my grandparents until they died. My grandfather got ill. But the reason we didn't know he was ill is he's never seen an old person get ill before. So he didn't know those were the signs. Right. Like, when you don't experience things, I, you just can't teach. It's weird. Like, you figure it'd be easy to sh- express your love to another person. It's not. It, it's like you have to practice it your whole life. So that by the time you become the parent, you can do it, you know, and and I don't hug like my family doesn't really hug too much, although they hug my daughter now. But like I had to like literally practice like hugging other human beings so that it wouldn't feel foreign by the time I was like a parent. Right. You know, and and doing things that I've never really ever done. You know, I almost had a practice run with Stacy's cousins because. And it's just, you know, happened to me. She has a lot of girl cousins. It's almost like a practice run before I had a daughter to have a relationship and then not freak out about things that most parents would freak out if, you know, anything to do with like sex and drugs and, you know, pressures and whatnot. Because those are all normal things. Like there, there's, there's a few things about parenting that I don't know how to avoid and I don't know how to convince my daughter not to do. Because like because of uh, technology – so many kids send each, uh, naked pictures of themselves. And so many kids do things that you can't take back because there's a record of it, right? And it's because, I mean, I don't know what age you got your phone. And by the time I got my phone, the only thing that it did was make phone calls. Like, I couldn't even text on my first phone. Yeah. And I mean, I had the it's uh, just... T9. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? The, yeah, yeah. the letter yeah. The number over and yeah. over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember. Oh well, yeah, for sure. So it's like I I don't know how to navigate being a teenager in this world or social media. Like I had social media as an adult. You know, to think about handling social media as a person who's like 14 in middle school or high school is so much harder, you know, and I have you know, all of Stacy's cousins that are teenagers on my social media and like none of some of them, I'm like, why would they do that? But then I realized why they're doing that is because this is literally the cool thing now. Like it, you used to only have to be cool at your school. Now it's like, you have to be cool on the internet. Yeah. That's crazy. I, yeah, that part I have not quite figured out yet because yeah, I have not figured out that part yet because everyone understands peer pressure but it's like on a weird level now yeah man it's you get it everywhere and it's like are you really gonna restrict everything from your kid i mean yeah at a certain point but then they're gonna figure out a way to access it anyways oh for sure you know like we we figured out how to get on the internet because my parents had no clue what it was for sure (laughs) no for sure yeah so for sure there's no way to there's no way to stop it so it's almost better to have a dialogue with them yeah with with them so that like they understand and also some of the parents that i see who have a good relationship with their kids and their kids tell them everything good or bad is because they know that their parents will support them and a lot of asian american kids will keep things from their parents because they know it will not be supported you know, like simple things too. you know, piercing tattoos and with school <laughs> grades. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course, you know that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Like, 
we, we you wouldn't even have a conversation about getting one with them before because you know how it would go. You know exactly. what I mean? Yep. It's, yeah. It's tough. What do you think? So I, I'm curious, like, what? how do you – because, you know, like, I, I've thought about how I was going to be a parent my whole life, basically, since I was a kid. Yeah. And I'm curious, like, based on how your parents raised you and, you know, the whole hugging thing, like, talking to your kids, making them feel safe, like – how do you think about raising uh, your daughter? So I basically, I'm not, I know a lot of Asian kids who don't want to do, they, they always talk about what they don't want to do that they hated that their parents did. Yeah. But to, I actually took the opposite approach and I want to do everything that I thought my parents did well. And then things like they because so they'll when stacy was pregnant my mom and dad would tell me all these stories and i'm like i never knew you guys felt that way it's like oh yeah i'm like huh so like i feel the same way they did it's just i'm better at expressing it to my child you know what i mean so like Like, give me an example what do you mean so let's say you are proud of your kid my mom and dad like let's say um i'll give you three or four examples like uh the first time i tried out for an organized basketball team uh in middle school seventh grade right and i went to a like a pretty minority heavy school and i think my entire it was like 15 players on the team oh sorry not 15 maybe 12 players on the team and i think it, 10 or nine of them were like black kids and as a 12 year old asian kid i don't know if i'm as good as black kids right i just <laughs> i don't know i mean, i think i you know i'm confident in my ability but i don't know because they're like they're quicker than me they jump higher and my coach for whatever reason didn't cut players instead he picked players to be on the team and he just didn't say the names of the players that he's gonna cut right so he did it in order of picking the team and he said my name first and i was like so happy and i went home and i told my parents and there was like no reaction like zero Right. And we just went about eating dinner. And I remember being so disappointed that night, like just so sad because I was just so happy. Like it felt like an accomplishment. Right. Yeah. And or when you get into the college you want to get into and like the reaction is kind of like, you know, good. Now, like, let's go on to the next thing. I think I don't know if I expected like a celebratory moment, but. I think it would have been nice to see the reaction that I was feeling from them too. And I guess I didn't know until I got to be an adult that. So I have to catch myself sometimes from doing the same thing. Like I go to the store with Elliot before all this COVID stuff and people, we, sometimes it takes forever to leave because people will just come up and talk to us and like compliment her. We've gone to restaurants and people have paid for our meals and we don't know who they are. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding, man. Like we'll sit there and eat and like she'll smile at a lady or like do stuff. And then as we're about to pay, they go, oh, that lady who left the moment or who's sitting over there paid for you. She's gone now. And we don't know who she is. So like sometimes I have to catch myself from – because I'll not say a lot of the things she does well. Because I don't want it to get to her head, 
right? Like I don't want her being some arrogant, cocky person, but I'm trying to balance it with celebrating her for what she does well, because I want her to have pretty good self-esteem and feel proud as a individual and in herself. Cause I don't think I felt that way until I was an adult, like never as a kid. What changed? Uh, like what made you um, start? You know, the, the moment I think I had everything I was kind of looking for, like, you know, like I got married, she was going to have a kid and she knew the gender and this gender she wanted. So I fulfilled everything my wife has said she wanted out of life. And I felt like I was doing things that meant something and I was fulfilling all the boxes that you were supposed to quote unquote fill in life, right? Like I gave my parents a grandchild, like all that stuff that you're, you think you're supposed to do, right? And then like, I've never seen my parents smile and laugh as much, you know? And so like, it just felt like I, I was doing things right, you know? I, mean, I think this COVID thing is the first time I've had like a down year in a really long time. Yeah, but I knew it was gonna. So I, I mean, I knew there was gonna be a down. I just didn't know how, the extent of how freaking far this roller coaster was gonna go down. So, I think what changed was when you start to feel things are going right. You're like, huh? Like maybe what I'm doing is not wrong. Because which is that's how I felt most of my. I felt most of my life, like I was doing the wrong things. I should have done better. I was thinking more of the things I should have done more versus what I actually did. Yeah. Damn, that's that's super important, dude. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess I wish I would have spotlighted more of what I was doing right versus only the things I was doing wrong. And it life just became easier when you think that way, you know? And I'm I'm never content, but I'm happy. Like I want to be better, but if everything ended today, like I'm very happy with my life. So that's a, that's a pretty comfortable way of looking at everything too. I remember, uh, and by the way, the, the note on that, uh, I told Angela, like, do we hate ourselves enough? Like we criticize ourselves enough. We don't need to do more of it consciously. You know what I mean? But um, I remember we had this conversation. You talked about, I think it was when you were doing the YouTube thing. Yeah. And uh, you figure out a way to like either make money or do something. I forget, I forget what it was. And you had a conversation with your dad. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Was that something that like changed you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Can you talk about that? Like the reason that stumbled on is like when I graduated was like the economic crash, right? Yeah. (laughs) In America, it's the housing crash, right? So they're just the jobs that were available is just so minuscule. And then like YouTubing was, I mean, rapping and making videos was something I've always wanted. So it was like the perfect opportunity to do that. Right. And then I think what happened in that time was like, whether they're actual celebrities or stars or whatever you want to call them, which, which at that point didn't have a label. I think YouTubers. once you mean YouTube yeah, stars? YouTube. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. the people we're watching all the time, right? The people we're watching, you know, every day. When I was starting to do things that they were doing and then they'd recognize me, that changed my whole outlook on things too. 
Because for whatever reason, we do have a ceiling that we put over our heads. And when I realized the ceiling doesn't exist, it made my outlook on everything change. Like, oh, wow. Like, maybe this isn't the peak of what I can be. Right. You know? Can you... Can you talk about um? Can you talk about when you decided to do it, and then what you did? I, I remember you said you made like videos or a song, like a song a day or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, what was that process? So, uh, at that point, I bartended only on Friday and Saturday nights, and it paid my bill. So I was content with just paying my bills, and with all my free time. I was making music. So I made one song, and this is so funny. I made one song, and it got three comments. And those three comments were so satisfied that I wanted to do it again. Right. And at that point, it, I was like, oh my God. I think the first girl was from like Saudi Arabia. I was like, someone from Saudi Arabia heard me rap. So I made another one, and then it did it again. So I keep doing it. And then what happened was I started criticizing what I was making a little bit more each time. And so I was being, I wasn't uploading videos as frequently as I was the month prior, but I went a whole month without uploading and then my voice blew out and I had to go to the doctor. And I couldn't make music anymore for like two weeks while I was make, taking medicine. And so I counted how many songs I made in between the last video and it was like a hundred and like eleven or something, like that. and that was what it was. It was a uh, I think thirty one days. Damn. So I yeah yeah I was making a ton of and I actually still have it on my laptop, um that list. I was making a ton of music. So and you know what's funny when I my voice came back. What I did was I listened to the first song, and the last song I made. And it's not about lyrical content or anything, but I just rap better. Yeah. Like I was clearly rapping better by the last one. Yeah. And I did not use any of the songs I recorded. And I just recorded another song in general. And, but the thing is making the process of making the songs was some of the most happiest moments I've ever had. Yeah. Versus the actual outcome of the song, like conceptualizing, Oh, I want to make, this type of music and then just making it was more satisfying than what actually transpired at the end. And I tell a lot of my friends now, cause like some of my friends make music for a living and some don't the ones that don't, I'm like, Hey, are you making this for views? Or are you making this for yourself? Cause you love making music because if you love making music, which I know all of my friends do, you shouldn't care how many views you get. If, Especially when your livelihood and your checks don't depend on it, you know? And that's the whole, we care so much about likes and followers at this point. Yeah. But man, that process, and I remember, but I was, I, I didn't even think, you know, I'm sure at that point, I actually don't remember anything about that month of music. I know Stacy came over, but like, I don't remember anything other than making music. And it was... It went by so fast, though. Like, a month now goes by so slow because of COVID, but that, that month went by so fast. I probably needed that time to become better because by the time I was meeting other artists, I needed a little bit more 
uh, product, I guess, to send. Be like, oh, this is what I've made. Or sometimes I already had a song and I send it to someone. They make the hook or something. So it was that that whole time period changed the rest of my life because I think there's a great deal of confidence that I gained from it because. I don't think we should ever glorify famous or like popular people, but when someone is, I guess, accomplished, right? Like accomplished, whether money, money or not, take it apart, like a dumbfounded, right? A battle rap or a Timothy De La Guetta who was on M. When you get to be in the same room with people and they recognize you, it's a different feeling about your own self that you didn't know existed. And then after that is convincing myself that I don't need that kind of approval, but it's there and I can. And I think that changed everything. Like, so like when it comes to being a husband and parent too, is like a lot of the times you'll see other parents, you'll be like, oh man, I'll never be as good as that. And I think we need to cut that part out and just be like, no, I'm going to be as good of a dad as possible. And I'm going to be as good. And, and that definition, I think, varies depending on families because some need more just, I guess, supporting boosts uh, vocally. Some kids actually don't need vocal boosts at all. So I think it's just figuring out. And that part is from like teaching kids helped me realize that there's no two kids that learn the same way. So you just got to figure out what a kid is like. Yep. And that's how I learned to communicate with Stacey, too, is like me and her are so different. So... I try to be ex- as transparent as possible so she's not blindsided by how I feel because right. I am also my parents' son. So I do not vocalize my internal struggle and pain out loud because it's not like, because I think it's a form of weakness. I thought about why I don't. I just, I think I don't just because I've never done it. It's not normal to do it. So I just don't do it. So I, I think I feel, I mean, obviously I don't have a daughter, but. Um, I think I feel this towards guys more than women. Like I find that I have an easier time of showing love to a woman, right? And it yeah. could just be not my friends even. Like even my close guy friends, I yeah. think have trouble expressing their love for each other versus like my female friends. I have, um, I can I can talk to them. Because we're taught as males that it's corny to do that. Yeah, like we're taught like at a young age, like not like that's not deemed as tough or what a male is supposed to quote unquote be like. And, you know, I actually learned that when I was a uh, YouTubing too, cause what happened was like, when you start to meet people that didn't grow up in the same areas as you, they're different. They're just different. Right. And like, this, like, for example, like an AJ Raphael, he says, I love you a lot. And I've never seen a guy say, I love you to his friends as much as he did. So I was like, Oh, like, maybe this can exist because like if you think about caring about a friend that is love in general yeah. right yeah and uh and like even with uh what is it instagram messaging or text when you see people and your friends doing stuff you should say that they're doing a good job and you should say you should encourage each other it's like we all need it we all need that in general and that's technically what a community is and I don't know how much of it we're taught as a kid to tell other people, encourage other people, because you're so worried about figuring your own life out that it's 
tough to think about all of it. And when you catch up, you do that too. And it's uh, that I think one thing I learned from my dad because my dad never gets jealous of his friends and how successful they become. And that is one thing I went into YouTube absolutely thinking is like, I don't need subscribers in this person or more views in this person. And it was the only time in my life I did it because like after that, like I was dead set on getting married and having a family. So I had to think yep. about family uh, repercussions. But that period was like, I got to do whatever I want and experiment with whatever I want. And I think I gained tremendous amount of confidence in myself as a human out of it. Because I always left thinking like, why does someone have to remember who I am? Like, I don't, I'm not a rich person and I'm not a famous person with a bunch of followers. So there's no real reason to remember who I am. So I went in with that. I don't need you to be my friend or any of that. And I'm yeah. not. And some of the people you don't mesh with and you're, you're not friends. So it's, it's a, but so many people don't though. Like they want to, they want a cosign or they want a track or like whatnot. And I, I realized that's pretty annoying too, pretty early on. Yeah. It probably helped right. that I was older. I wasn't like a 17 year old kid in, going into it. So it probably helped that I was older a lot. Like people who pursue like internet jobs, they're like hustlers and small business owners. Right. I, I, I met a guy who doesn't have a lot of followers. He still doesn't have a lot of followers. But he was coming to Seattle and needed a rival picked him up and he he was doing a show at UW and he said he booked a college tour and I was like how'd you book a college tour like he had less subscribers than me I was like how did you book a college tour and I think it was like a 16 city tour 13 or 16 I forget yeah. but he, this is the part that I never forgot I was like how'd you book this tour he said he emailed a hundred colleges and the, the student associations at those hundred colleges I was like what so he asked all of them if he could do a show. And I can't remember if it was 13 or 16, but that many responded with a yes. Everyone else said no or they, but he got a tour out of it because yeah, right. by volume, I was like, I've never seen anyone tell me that. I was like, oh my God, like I've never even thought about that. I was like, that's crazy. And you meet characters of people who just want to accomplish a lot. We're talking about, what is it, Benny the other day, you and me, um, Benny is the CEO of uh, NextShark. When I met him, he didn't have NextShark. He had a different uh, website. It's called like New Media Rockstars. And he sold that. He made a lot of money. So, But at that point, he was just saying he wanted to, I'm paraphrasing what he said. He wanted to just write about Asian American stories because they're not in the news. And I was like, oh, that doesn't exist. That sounds cool. I didn't think it was going to be what it is now. And I don't know if he thought it either. It's it all, I think, most importantly, and you went to school twice, so you know this. If you don't like doing something, I don't think there's longevity. Yeah, man. And if, if you don't like something, I don't think you can be incredibly successful. Most people who become really successful really love and are passionate about what they're doing. So that helped a lot because I was like, oh, then I, I don't want to do because you'll just be unmotivated and you'd be content with getting a check, but I'll never be anything out of it. Yeah. So what made you leave? What made you stop doing YouTube? Uh, I mean, it's a mixture of things. Like number one was, uh, I never wanted to do it for a living. 
And I needed to figure out what career I was going to pursue for a living because I knew I was going to propose and start a family at some point soon. And then the next one was like a lot of that consists of seeing people that I didn't want to see all the time. So in my head, what I thought was I will run a business and with whenever I want to do a project, I'll do it. And if I have to perform, it's always on the weekends anyways. I'll just make sure that I don't have to work that weekend. And that's just how I thought it in my head as I'm doing it. Yep. And, you know, it's a, I guess when I know if I really want to make a song, I can still do it. So it doesn't really like kill me that much. But I knew I couldn't do it at the volume that I did before because there were just other responsibilities happening as I was. And unless I was going to do it, and some of my friends actually do it full time and have a job full time. And I commend them because it's exhausting. Like it's exhausting to make a video or a song, edit it, and then promote it and all these things. And if you are collaborating, it just, it's, it takes a long, I mean, you're doing this. You got to get everyone on the right time and schedule. And it's just, there's just so many things that go in it, but you know, it's not something I still have like, goals like i still want to make, uh, complete a whole album at some point in my life and i still want to do a bunch of things in it i'm not necessarily rap but i have ideas and things that i want to come and it's a i think but what you say what did you get out of it is like the, what i got out of that so much is that i think i can still do all these things because of that moment of i have enough confidence that i can create if i actually put the energy and time into it and if i don't do it at that point the only person is like it's me because like you can do it if you want just how do you segment your time yeah yeah for sure i want to transition into uh it's kind of related but hip-hop yeah so hip-hop i think i feel like that brought us together right for sure we introduced us because we both rap yeah <laughs> right yeah. at one point um so that's a theme that's probably it's been a part of my life since i was like eight or nine yeah uh when did you get into hip-hop um it was about nine nine um yeah. so you know like school how you have like uh like a random friday where like you get like a party time like like an hour to have like free time and like some of the cool teachers will play music and stuff. Yeah. <clears throat> so when that would happen, um, kids in my class would bring their cassette tapes. This is now it's showing how old we are. So they'll bring cassette tapes. And uh, <clears throat> this one particular kid brought uh, Tupac, All Eyes on Me. Uh, I had another kid, they TLC, Crazy Sexy Cool. Um, someone brought a big ECD ready to die. So like they'll bring it in. And of course, most of it, they can't play because of the lyrics. But even just seeing the album cover, I was actually figuring out what other kids listen to. So I was like, oh, I should know who Tupac is. Like, oh, who who is this? Like, so I would internally, so, and then when the radio turns on and then, you know, at that point, like Q93 was the big hip hop station. And the first rap CD that made me like hooked 
to everything was uh, Puff Daddy and the Family, No Way Out. Like that CD was it. I think I heard I'll Be Missing You and on that album that was like Been Around the World, Can Nobody Hold Me Down, Victory, All About the Benjamins. But yeah, no, at that time, yeah, Bad Boy was killing it. Like it was Bad Boy, Will Smith, Jay-Z, um, Volume 2. I, I love that album so much. And then it was like the South movement, like uh, No Limit and Cash Money was here. Um, I had Tupac's greatest hits. Like I, I was pretty well-rounded, I guess, if I look at it like that. Um, I, uh, I think it's because we grew up in the Northwest. Like there wasn't any rappers of ours to claim that I listened to like everywhere. Like right. I listened to the California, you know, the gangster music. I listened to East Coast music, South music. And like pretty much every, I was a pretty impressionable kid because at that point, my parents didn't buy me a whole lot of stuff. So like when kids would bring certain CDs to school, that was like my time to like listen to their CDs. And then I had a kid, uh, he was a year older than me. I would help him uh, in like math class and he would burn me CDs for free to help him get, oh, yeah. help him. Yeah. So help him cheat off my test. Oh my god. So, yeah. Yeah. So that's hilarious. Uh, I, I, yeah. I, I used, kids that. used to hustle CDs back in middle school. Oh, I did too, man. So yeah. when I found that out, like I was selling CDs. It was bad. It was, uh, there was a kid that went to who's three years older than me. He burned CDs and he wasn't very social. So I used to go around and at that point, and then I would tell people like, make me a mix or an album. And then I'd bring it over, sell it. And then we split it 50, 50. Like it was, yeah, it went well until like, you know, everyone started getting CD burners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, it's every, like, a kid would bring a CD to school, and then, like, you'd be interested, and then, like, you know, during lunch, you, like, listen to it, and if I liked it enough, I'd beg my dad to buy me the CD. So, I, I, you know, I had a bunch, like, it was, man, I mean, for that, I think I was, my middle school is extremely important, because my middle school is so diverse, Mm -hmm. and then one of my close friends at that time, he just moved from Atlanta, so he brought so much Southern music with him. And he was like, he was also in like all the honors classes, advanced classes. Like he was like in most of my classes and we played basketball together. And he would, he introduced me to like all the South and stuff. I've never probably would have heard of that. Early. Yeah. And it was, and then after that, it's like waves of music and who's popular. And then I think college though was the first time like, I knew I liked rap, but, like, I didn't realize how much of it, like, was engraved in who I am, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, maybe I just didn't reflect enough, but, like, all, all the cultural things, like, style, the way you talk. Uh, like, even liking basketball was extremely part of hip-hop, too. I always think that. And it's, it's, uh, it's weird, because I've always thought for the longest time, like, how much would my life be different if I grew up in Korea and not moved to America? And I think that part of it would be so different. But one of the early things about love was like hip hop was like music of like people who struggle and yeah. who's trying to rebel. And that was relatable a lot. And it was, I don't know. It was, it was like literally an audio book for me as a kid. Yeah. So like the first time I went to New York and like, 
um, you get off at like Marcy Station in Brooklyn. It's like, it's nothing to the people I was with, but for me, I was just like, oh my God, my entire life, <laughs> you hear this <laughs> word. And you know yeah. what I mean? It's just, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, it's, it's other than like your family and firsthand experiences, like sports and music is the biggest thing to me. And hip hop is, uh, I mean, even me liking sneakers, like it's like hip hop, it's, it's attributed to hip hop. Yeah. And it's, yeah, I can't imagine my life without it, period. You know, I don't listen yeah. to a lot of new rap music. Like, I still go back to so much uh, mixtapes and albums. I think you asked me recently, what is not skippable? And it's yeah. hard to choose projects like that. And also, sometimes some things are more skippable than others. And I think it depends on what I'm wanting to listen to. But, like, it's, yeah, when I find, like, a really great rapper it's a i don't know if it's it's a different form of high for sure to me and it's a it's incredible like yeah like j cole is like i don't know when he became that big to me in my head but like is it's a he's at the top after jay-z jay-z's yeah like cemented yeah man in college you introduced me to a ton of rappers because, like, you'll be like, have you heard of this person? Have you heard of this person? And that's just how you talk to your friends, right? Yeah, yeah, And yeah. And I just remember you telling me about this guy. And I don't – I think he's good, but I don't think he's ever going to be big. And that was great. Yeah. And boy, was <laughs> I ever wrong about that one. It's like the biggest ar- biggest rap artist of all time. Yeah. I just remember we went to Safeway, and we are buying a bottle uh, for that night. I just remember there's like these four white girls in like a Toyota Camry singing Best I Ever Had. And I remember looking at like, <laughs> maybe I'm wrong. Uh, <laughs> was, uh, and I was totally wrong. Yeah, bro. I remember, I remember growing up and uh, I think my dad caught me with a, a rap album. I think it was Tupac. Um, and that was like, I was 10 or something like that. And oh, wow. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And he said, uh, he said, this is you're gonna get over this this is like this is trash you're not gonna ever look back at this ever again once you grow up this is done you're gonna like other music and it's funny reflecting back on that now and i'm like i'm still if 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 anything i'm like even more of a hip-hop fan now you know you know you know if if there is a defense of because i've heard that too like what we hear that's not music this is a phase you know, when I was a uh, when I was fifteen, I say when I'm twenty five, I'll stop wearing hat. Like what? What the hell kind of dumb shit <laughs> <Right>. is that? <laughs> right. But also, I think more than ever, um, because of the internet too, I don't think you ever have to outgrow anything you've ever done anymore. What do you mean? Because you can watch reruns of like you can watch reruns of anything. Like how much music do we have access? I can literally pull up any album. Yeah too much and be and before it wasn't like that and and also back in the day there was like this kind of standard of like when you hit a certain age you're supposed to be like this dress like this i don't even think most workplaces have like a real dress code anymore you know other than like maybe like a, a real fancy meeting like or a bank like an yeah or like an event or something you know other than that like people at amazon like my friends literally dress like a rapper to amazon you know, it's yeah, bro. It, it doesn't exist like that anymore. And I don't think our parents. I, I I really don't think they knew that kind of life was gonna happen. 
And also, rap has not been around long enough to know that you can be 50 and enjoy rap. Right. We never it's that, that young. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Because like, I don't, yeah, like you said, like, I don't, I love the music I love just as much, if not more. Like, the albums that I grew up loving. Like, I love it just as much, you know? Yeah. And, like, hate it or, like, Kanye annoys me a lot, but, like, I listened to my beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy the other day. I was like, it's so good. So good. It's just, yeah. And, yeah, it's hip-hop. I don't I don't know if it's our age. And I was, I talked to a bunch of my friends about it. But, like, 90s and early 2000s hip-hop and R&B is, like, to me, the golden era. Yeah. Like, it just... But I think, but I feel that way about basketball, too. So maybe it is just an age thing. I don't know. Every age feels that way, man. Probably, because like a little older than us, like nah, 80s were better. Yep. And younger than us is gonna be like, nah. <laughs> Are you serious? Listen to them. Like, <laughs> and I'm sure you know. Like, yeah. To each his own. And now at this point, there's enough resources to like we all just enjoy what we love now. Is there anything we we? I mean, we've had so many conversations. Like, is there anything that we haven't talked about that you want to talk about? I'm sure. Sh- I'm sure there are, but I can't think of anything off top. You know, it's it's a. I do know that, uh, what you're doing and and why I've I've always wanted to get into podcasting too is like understanding our own selves and like resources and information. I I never realized how much of it comes from conversation, and just discussing things helps us understand because like someone will listen to them, no matter how long it is. It could just be one line. They'll be like, oh, like, I feel that way too. Right. But not know they felt that way. And we do that all the time, just having conversation with each other. So it's it's important. I think this is important. And, like, I mean, I don't know how you're trying to do this, but at some point, if you want to do more, we can do more if you figure out something else too. And, like, at this point, I don't think there needs to be any real rule. We're not NBC where we need, like, 30 minutes with commercial at this time and commercial at this time advertisements here credits here you know what i mean like and i think that's what's beautiful about today's era is like you don't need to be like that at all yep internet man yeah because at some point if you wanted to do this back in the day you needed to be hired by like radio station or television station yep and you need expensive equipment yes you gotta be in the same place like we can't do this like back in the day yeah oh yeah for sure yeah yeah I mean, I'll be. We have we had some technical issues along the way, but still. But even with that technical <laughs> issue, you can fix it, edit it, or if yeah. all of this erase, you could do it again. Like it's just so like the amount of resources we have at this point is just insane. And we're like what hundreds miles away from each other. We could be thousands if you wanted. It's yeah, crazy. All right, last question. Yes. Um, so we as humans put up statues of people. Not because we love those people, but because we love what those people represent. So mm. when you pass on from this life and the world puts up a statue of you, uh, what would you want that statue to be and what would you want it to represent? You know, obviously, I'm probably going to feel multiple. I probably feel differently at different points in my life about this. You know, I, I right now. I. If I if there's one thing I think I can't fail at is being a father. But if I 
if so if I could try to figure out how to encompass everything into what I want to be known for is I don't think I'll ever be viewed as a person, which I'm not, but I would I want to be known for being a loving person. A person who when you're around, you feel love as the energy. Mm. So in the same way you feel comfort in seeing Martin Luther King Jr.'s face, because like it's literally associated with peace and equality. Yeah. Like when you see his face, you feel peaceful, regardless of what he may have been like as a person, which I don't know. It symbolizes that. So like I would hope, which is probably hard with my Korean face, that I would want to I want people to feel love. And probably hope, because like it, to be honest, for me to be where I'm at right now, like it doesn't make sense at all. You know, my dad didn't have running water till he was like in his twenties. And for where my family legacy is from, for me to be here at this point with my family is truly that's luck. Like, so like I want to pass as much love to other people as possible so hopefully it's a statue of me smiling (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much for listening to this episode if you or someone you know would be interested in being interviewed for the earthian podcast reach out to us on instagram at we are earthian and of course please make sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening on Thank you and have a beautiful day.